I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not a drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And it's good to speak about the sanity of humanity. Trump era has been very good for the psychotherapist business. Quite seriously, there's been a distinct uptake in depression and anxiety across America since that fateful day, November 8, 2016. People who did not have any discernible emotional or mental issues before are having a hard time just enjoying life as they used to. With all the hatred and ugliness coming down from the top, certainly the office of the president has been greatly diminished. I can't recall a time when merely coping with an unhinged, childish, selfish bully was a problem for tens of millions of citizens. I found myself at times making sure to go for walks in the peace of a forest when I feel overwhelmed and frightened about my country and the world, my friends, and my children now face. Now, I work with an autistic man, a good guy. He went into a panic attack election night, having seen Trump mock people with disabilities. You all remember that short video. I didn't know how to comfort him, except to tell him how angry millions of us are and that we will fight against such things. And I wanted to uh, read, we're going to talk about the... uh, Beyond Resistance, Coping with the Stress of the Trump Era. I wanted to just read a couple of uh, Facebook posts that relate to this uh, from a friend, uh, Elaine. Sorry this isn't a happy post. I don't know where to go emotionally in dealing with the onslaught of tragic news all around us. I'm tired of my own words. I've said everything within my limited ability to say. I'm dumbstruck that the news continues to compound. I'm terrified that the biggest problems we face are becoming intractable. I see fewer and fewer remedies for a return to health and wellness for our country and our planet. I feel a sense of darkness when I consider that the bad guys are winning. I grieve for my kids and my grandbabies. In a couple of decades, I'll be out and they'll be left in. I see signs, signals to desperation as some people see the signs and begin to make their plans. And I think of all people far more vulnerable than I am who will be and already are taking the brunt of the consequences. America is really was the check on the rest of the world. We really were a beacon of hope and moral leadership. But while we were busy building a story of our superiority, we missed the tiny moths eating holes in the fabric of our goodness. And now the threads are giving way. One more post from Jonathan. My anger at the state of this country is hurting myself, making me ill, 
and hurting others around me. I'm lacking the tools to channel this energy, and I'm struggling to get new works and projects I've been striving toward off the ground. My stomach is consuming itself, and the horrors of our national politics invade even my dreams and other attempts to escape my mind. I have become a raging, um, not very nice person, I can't use that word, and can't even find solidarity with those of sympathetic mind. I am truly mind and heart sick. How can I escape? Wouldn't escape into ignorant bliss be irresponsible at this moment? Well, I believe it would. And I'm very pleased to have with us the co-authors of the new book, Beyond Resistance, Coping with the Stress of the Trump Era. Kathy Hertz is a life strategist, author, refugee activist, and calls herself a proud card-carrying member of the resistance. And Donna Lippman is one of only two people to ever lead something called the Shadow Process Workshop. She's co-authored this book, again called Beyond Resistance, Coping with the Stress of the Trump Era, an Essential Guide to Help People Navigate These Uniquely Turbulent Political Times. Yeah, it's really rough out there. So many books about American life after the shocking election of Donald Trump. How is yours unique? Donna, and thank you, first of all, for having Kathy and I on your show today. Um, we're thrilled to be here. Anytime we get to talk about our book, we are are thrilled. Um, you know, the title of our book may be open to interpretation, it, it's, but it's not a Trump-bashing book. Kathy and I were so traumatized on November 9th when we woke up right. in 2016 that we decided, as many good life coaches do, and that, that's what we do in the world, we are life coaches, we decided to support one another in our angst and our and our fear and upset and and we began to focus on the processes and the exercises and and the concepts that we use to support our clients uh, in moving through the challenges of their lives and after some time we thought hey maybe others might benefit from our tools and skills as well so this book is about understanding why you have the intense feelings you do. Um, it's about taking responsibility for your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. It's it's about making a plan of action and taking good care of yourself in the process. It's, it, it's really meant to be a guide to move through the emotional challenges that we are facing right now. And the good news about our book, too, is that while we use it as a political focus right now, because that's what's in our face, um, you can use it in your everyday life as well. I wonder how it, it's different. And, and you know, uh, th- this year, my daughter, for example, her birthday is November 9th. <laughs> she didn't have mm-hmm. a very happy birthday on November 9th, 2016. And now, you know, that, that date is kind of stamped in there. So what are some of the typical manifestations of stress in the time of, of the Trump era? Hi, Bert. It's Kathy. I think I'll take this one. And again, thanks okay, for having sure. us on. And your daughter's birthday is the day before my son's birthday. So happy uh-huh. birthday to your daughter. Okay. But um, mm-hmm. um, we're seeing um, the people we talk to are showing their stress and their overwhelm and their discomfort in a lot of different ways. Some of it is physical manifestations, uh, a lot of stress that's affecting the body, um, tiredness, fogginess. Um, Other people are becoming um, more isolated, less social, having less joy in their lives. 
um, becoming angrier, um, maybe finding themselves less effective in general at work because they're um, they're overwhelmed, and overwhelm can do big things to us as humans. Really impacts us in many ways. So it can it's a variety of things. If you're not feeling that you are in um, kind of feeling at your best in one of these areas and you are spending a lot of time thinking about politics, it's probably because of that. Yeah, and it's it's very, very difficult to deal with. And this, this hate and blatant racism that seems to be just ratcheting up day by day uh, certainly feeds the anxiety. And it's, it's a real shock to so many people uh, that there are others who cheer uh, the brutality, the anger, the hatred. That's kind of difficult to realize that there's all these people around us who like this kind of stuff and who cheer it. The enthusiasm for the old-fashioned nativism that we saw in the early 20th century and very new authoritarianism among millions of us is deeply disturbing. As, as traditional patriots who love America, and I certainly consider myself part of that, uh, and all we've stood for, we can't just sweep the problem under the rug. And I'm sure psychologists, psychotherapists, uh, my guess is don't usually suggest, oh, just ignore it and sweep the problem under the rug. I don't think, my guess is that's never a good strategy. Many of us wonder what has become of the world as we know it. Have you seen examples, and I'm guessing you have, of ways to successfully face this? We can't just, you know, ignorance is bliss, but to, to, to hide from this isn't a good strategy. So what examples have you seen of, of ways to successfully face this uh, widespread anxiety? Do you want to take this one, Kathy? Sure. Well, sure. first of all, we are not um, psychologists or psychiatrists, so we just want to be really clear that we're life coaches and not answering from that other perspective. Um, and we uh, believe that you know, if we look at this as a trajectory of, um, we're not sure where this is all headed. We're not sure, um, you know, and if you are somebody who believes in the concept of faith, and I don't mean in a, in a God way per se, maybe that is, is it for some people, maybe it isn't for others, but if there is a concept of faith and the idea that we don't know where this is headed, and perhaps this is exactly what we needed to have happen in this country in order for us to get to an even better place, then perhaps that, that reduces some of the stress and anxiety for us. However, that does not mean that we sit back and we let it all happen. It means we stand up and we do our part and we stand for what we believe in. And we do everything we can to be that change that we want to see in the world. But back in the deeper parts of our beings, while there may be some fear and trepidation about, oh my God, where could this lead? Where do we see this leading? To also remember to have some faith that all is not revealed yet, and that there are millions of us out there doing everything we can to create the universe that we we envision. Um, and so, Donna, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I think that it's it's time for all of us, and I think this is happening now. Uh, you know, we say on our website, um, 
that Trump has inadvertently given us a gift, that it has awakened something inside of us. And it's time for us to take responsibility for our part in having created this major mess, whatever small part that might be. And we need to step up and find our courage right now. And we need to find more than we ever thought possible inside of us. And this situation is calling us into being um, in a way that we haven't been being in the past. And I, I believe it's the challenge of our lifetime in this country. And we have to evaluate know who we are going to be in this matter and take on our part. Yeah, and it's curious to see what the heck our part is. And and having looked at, mm-hmm. at history and, you know, the anti-war movements that have happened in the past, there's nothing like adversity to organize people, you know, sort of like a, a, right. a, a two-by-four just saying, hey, wake up, <laughs> mm-hmm. we got to do something here. And it, it does often uh, spark action. Now, one thing I wanted to ask about is uh, the the right, the Trump people are making a big deal out of uh, something called Antifa. These are largely young white men who go up and punch people they perceive to be fascists. And, and to them, it's sort of, I, I guess it kind of feels good expressing the anger. I mean, nobody... I mean, some people like Nazis, but most of us don't. But I just wonder, it, it, it strikes me that that plays totally into their hands and it's not a good uh, reliever of stress necessarily. I suppose maybe it relieves stress for that moment when ah, I punched a Nazi. But uh, I, I, I don't think that's the best strategy. Your thoughts on this either, Kathy or Donna? Well, I see it as sort of the reverse side of the coin of what they're attacking. It's sort of two sides of the same thing, which is um, behavior that is not really um, getting us anywhere. It's leading with hate, um, and that is not what we're all trying to create here. We're trying to create um, a different kind of world. And Donna and I are of the belief that you know, who you are and how you act in the world is what you will create in the world. So walking around punching anybody in the stomach probably is not going to create the world that we we would envision. <laughs> I tend to think you're right. But 19-year-old young men, I, yeah, they, that's a whole other topic for discussion. <laughs> I don't understand that. Uh, yeah. They we, probably need a little bit more... Um, understanding of of the the implications of their actions rather than just acting on you know emotion yeah i would think so if you just tuned in bert cohen here the show is keeping democracy live and we're talking about uh beyond resistance coping with the stress of the trump era an essential guide our guests are kathy hertz and donna lipman the co-authors of this uh timely book uh, Kathy, you've been involved with politics for years, including your work on the Clinton, Bill Clinton and John Kerry presidential campaigns. Hey, me too. In your new book, uh, you take a close look at how stress is affecting so many in our current political cri- climate, and you recommend solutions to help uh, people avoid being overwhelmed. And I think that sense of being overwhelmed is uh, <laughs> it's spreading pretty quickly. Uh, it's contagious. What are some of the best ways people can stay politically engaged while maintaining their personal well-being. It's so hard 
to keep your personal well-being. I can tell you from my own experience and a lot of other people to keep, you know, to keep a sense of joy. I mean, I've I've realized, <laughs> you know, it's hard to feel joy in this in this ugliness. So I wonder if you could respond to that. How can people stay politically engaged while maintaining their personal well-being? Well, I think the answer to that is personal for each individual. And so I think the first thing is to recognize that when you are feeling overwhelmed, it's a sign that you are somehow um, what we call out of integrity with yourself. You are somehow not listening to what you need to be well and balanced. So the first step is to understand that and then to get connected and really listen to yourself and ask yourself, what do I need to do to bring myself into greater integrity, into greater well-being? And that can look very different for, very di- for everybody. There's no one answer. Mm-hmm. For some people, it may be, I need to be going to yoga every day or five days a week. For others, it may be, I need to socialize more and talk about this less. For me, Mm. one of the things that I recognized that I needed to do was greatly limit the amount of news that I was taking in every day. I was getting alerts on my phone, you know, 10 times an hour, and then checking my email and my Facebook, and it was a constant barrage of stuff that was just, every time I would read it, it was like a jolt of tension. Mm. And I recognized that it was not doing me any good. It was not serving me. And so I cut that way back. So I think one major thing people can do is to really choose very mindfully where they're getting their, when and how and where they're getting their information from. Um, I also think that there's something happening with people where they feel that if they don't know everything going on at every moment, that they're somehow falling, um, they're slacking off, and that in order for us to be good, you know, quote-unquote resistance members, we need to be on it at all times. And I think we have to let go of that idea and understand that what we need to do is take care of ourselves, because if we don't, we can't, we will not be able to stay engaged. And finally, I do think that this need to know everything mm. at every minute, in my case, I'm, I'm speaking for myself with all the news, I think it's a form of, um, I think when we feel that we know what's happening, it's a form of control. We feel that we might have, we have better control if we're informed. But we can reduce the, the information and still feel connected and engaged and involved. So I would just urge people to get quiet with themselves and ask themselves, what do you need, what do I need to do to help myself here? And then most importantly, to follow through on those steps. Uh, and we can't, obviously, as we've said before, sweep the problem under the rug you know, we have to fight these guys in some fashion and do it smartly. And But if we fall apart as individuals, that doesn't help anybody. And I think they're probably relying on that. Donna, what is this, what you call the shadow self, and how does it relate to what so many are experiencing in the current political climate? Well, you know, Bert, you were asking earlier about what sets us apart, what's unique about our book. And I think this is one of the aspects that makes us unique. We talk about the shadow in a chapter we call Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. 
And the shadow is are the shadows are those parts of us that we hide, deny, and suppress inside ourselves. And we learned through events of our young lives, right? And often those events were negative or interpreted as yeah, negative, yeah, that there are parts of ourselves that were not acceptable. And, you know, we might try and suppress those parts of ourselves. You know, you can just imagine holding a beach ball underneath the water in a swimming pool. You know, you jump on top of it and holding it. Well, that's kind of like our shadow. We are trying so hard to hold those parts of us that we don't like about ourselves, but eventually they'll pop up and hit us where, right? In right, the face right. at the the time when we least expect it. So, you know, let me just give you an example. Say you're having a passionate political conversation with somebody who has a completely different point of view, and that happens a lot right oh, now, shit. right? Uh-huh. And, and although you know in your mind, and this has actually happened with me and my brother, um, I know in my mind, you know, exactly what I want to say, but I get a little tongue-tied, you know, because my subconscious shadow believes that, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about, or who do you think you are, or you're a fraud. And it has nothing to do with this present-day conversation, but it creeps in, and it leaves us feeling foolish and and somewhat powerless. So the shadow is playing out big time here with um, Donald Trump. And it's showing up, you know, on the small stage in our personal lives on a day-to-day basis, but it shows up collectively. So, for example, you know, on the, on the left, we may be looking at Donald Trump and saying, you know, that man over there, he's a moron, or he's evil, or he's you know, whatever it might be, the the dark side of us is coming out. Um, On the right, you know, they may be looking at him saying, oh, he's so wonderful. He's he's the savior, right? He's Mm -hmm. going to save our country, and he's strong, and he's decisive, and he knows how to handle it. But, you know, those are parts of us that we are projecting out onto someone. And we are seeing a mirror image of ourselves out there. And the problem is that, you know, we're projecting these qualities onto this person when really it's inside of us, it's a part of us. Maybe not all of who we are, maybe not, um, you know, we our, you know, evil or our moron would not come out in the same way as, you know, we see Donald Trump or our liar. Liar is a really good example. Uh-huh. I did a book signing last night and, you know, people were incredulous and in saying, well, but I'm, you know, are we all liars? Yeah, on some level we are, you know, and we must be honest with ourselves about, um, about who we are and what part we have played in all of this. Is that making sense? Very much so, yeah. It's, it's, wow, really interesting to think about that aspect of it. You're right. And, huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's incumbent upon us to take back those projections and own those shadows, those parts of ourselves, and stop blaming, and you know, stop calling people other names, stop punching people in the stomach, and own who we are and get that, you know what, there's probably a lesson to be learned 
about the liar in us yeah. or from the liar in us. You know, so if you can't be with something inside of you, you're going to project it onto somebody else. And you know it's a projection, you know it's a shadow when you're triggered by it. Yes. When you're upset by it, when you're charged up by it. If you're just informed by it, oh, that guy's, you know, he's silly. No, if you are charged up by it, there's something deeper for you to look at. Well, now, in either way, projecting your light or your dark shadows out there in the world, it's, it's, it's fruitless. It takes away our personal power. So when you're angry at someone, you give away your power. When you're admiring someone to the point of feeling, you know, as though they're your savior, you're still giving your power away. And that's what we explore in our book. Wow. And like the beach ball, you know, we don't want to have it pop up in our face when we least expect it. We want to let it up gently and explore that and own all parts of ourselves so we can be fully responsible for our thoughts and our feelings and behaviors. Yeah, interesting. We can't just, well, we can try to just hold that beach ball down, but eventually, you know, it's going to hit us in the face. And it sounds like... <laughs> eventually, yeah, you take your attention off of it. And and to have yeah, power over it, that. we can't just can't just uh, try to keep it down. We have to have power of it. That's very interesting. I can relate to that a lot. Believe me. <laughs> and yeah, and I think the the question that we have to ask ourselves is why did we need to have these shadows pop up right now in mm. our country, in our world? You know, and perhaps Kathy mentioned this before, living. Um, you know, our lives out of integrity and ignoring the condition of the world or our country, you know, is built up to a point that we needed to be reminded either of our self-absorbent narcissistic selves or, or our victim martyr selves who need a savior. Yeah. You know, so which do we need? Yeah, it's always been there in, in humanity, I think. Uh, people yeah. sometimes needing the, the knight in shining armor to come and rescue us is very dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. Yeah. And speaking of shadows, uh, again on Facebook, Davy Morrill posted that never fails to amaze me how scared conservatives are of everything, including their own shadows. And I think what you were talking about, Donna, very much plays into that. Now, one of my favorite presidents, he wasn't without faults, FDR, famously said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Political history has shown again and again that that manipulation of fear is very effective at winning elections. This year, it is fear of hordes of darker immigrants invading white America. <laughs> you know, and they, they drum up this fear all the time. Suggestions as to how to address this purposeful manipulation of fear. How do people most effectively deal with fear in general and not... Not let fear have power over them. Well, <clears throat> not easy. Kathy, I know. Uh, sure. We all experience fear, and fear is a useful emotion at times. I mean, standing at the edge of a cliff and feeling fear that you shouldn't go any <laughs> closer to the edge is a healthy response and one to take seriously. It's it's unmitigated fear that that stops us in times where um, it's not helpful. It's not serving us. Um, that it's usually in response to some learned, um, something learned uh, that's going to hurt us. It, it, not in terms of literally, but maybe back going going a little bit more towards the shadow that Donna was just discussing. That we want to stay safe, right? Emotionally safe. So, 
Um, you know, one of the things that I feel is most important about fear is to look one step below it. Oftentimes, fear gets a hold of us and takes off, and we stay very much on that surface level. But I think it's important, and we talk about how it's important to go a step deeper and try to understand what is the root here, what is really driving me. And sometimes when we get down to that root, um, we can determine that it, it actually isn't the story that we're making up about the whole thing. It's the meaning that we're attaching to an episode that is often creating the most fear. So an example for me was when I, about a year ago, um, if you recall, when Trump bombed the Syrian air base after the chemical weapons attack. Well, my huge fear has been that, I mean, I went off. I was beside myself that day. And I stopped and I really looked at it and I recognized that I have a, at the time he was a 14-year-old son, and my biggest fear has been that Trump was going to start some kind of war and that my son was going to end up getting drafted. Mm. And Mm. that has been one of my biggest fears. So what did this bombing of the airbase do? It played right into that fear of mine. So while originally I wasn't necessarily cognizant of why I was reacting so strongly to that event, when I went and I looked back, I said, okay, that's what's going on for me. And I was able to sort of take a step back and deal with what was going on and and make a little more sense of it for myself and calm myself down. Now, as far as the immigration, uh, we know that fear has been used effectively historically from time immemorial, and I don't think we're going to stop that. And um, unfortunately, the people that it's being used um, against, and I don't mean the immigrants, I mean the people who are supporters of Trump, I don't know that that's going to change unless they're willing to Mm. look at things from a different perspective, which they're not really... They don't really, many of them, seem willing to do. Um, So, I don't know, Donna, do you have a a better answer for this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a difficult one. And, you know, I I think that we are not going to be able to change minds. Maybe at some point we can change hearts with, with something that happens in the world. I'm not sure. But, you know, just on a a personal level, if we're looking at how do we effectively deal with it, um, you know, there are lots of tools that we mention, of course, in, in our book, from meditation and mm-hmm. uh, journaling and yoga and exercise mm-hmm. to seeing a therapist. <laughs> I, I think, um, oh, yeah. you know, we ought to, when, when we need it, a therapist is a, is a good place to go. You know, I like to sing. You know, so it's hard for me to be afraid when I'm singing. Huh. And it, it, the, the thing is, we have to do what works for us. And, you know, the biggest um, mitigator for me, other than singing, is getting into action. You know, mm-hmm. So I've been very active in my community here um, in terms of postcard writing campaigns, making phone calls. This weekend I'm going to start walking uh, the the streets for uh, Beto here in Texas. So, you know, where there's fear, it's a sign to look a little deeper. And I want to just jump on that and, and agree that one of the greatest things we can do 
to mitigate our fear right now, especially between now and the midterms, is get out there and do everything we can for a candidate, either a local candidate or if it's not, there isn't an important race in your area, then a candidate in another area. If you reach out to a campaign, even if it's in another state, they will be happy to have you. And it's easy. It's sometimes difficult to make that first step, but they will be so happy to have you. You will not regret that you made that call or you walked into that campaign headquarters. Now, that's a good point. I can I can attest to that. I mean, just doing something, you know, rather than being overwhelmed, it seems like something in our bodies feels like, yeah, we did something, and somehow you feel a little bit calmer then. I mean, it's also as you say, singing. I don't do that, but I go for walks in the woods and things like that, and just look at the beauty of nature. I always find that sort of a, a great cathedral for me. But that's just me speaking. Since well, let me in your book Beyond Resistance. You say that the key to empowered action lies in surrendering to what is. How does that work? Tell us about that, please, either Kathy or Donna. Donna, you want to? Okay, go ahead. Sure, I'll take it. Um, I I think it's really about our mindset. You know, just to give you an example, after the 2016 election, like many, you know, I after I got out of my bed and stopped crying, I walked around in a super, and I was hoping and praying that this was a nightmare, you know, from which I would wake up soon. (laughs) And I just refused to believe that Trump was elected as the president of the United States of America. It was shocking. And I was exhausted. I was angry. I was making myself sick. And, And I was unable to see my way clear to doing anything in a positive way. And I know from talking with people that a lot of others have had this similar experience and reaction. In fact, last night at this book signing that I did, this one woman who I thought was completely disengaged in the whole conversation walked up to me and she said, you know, she was crying. She, she was literally in tears. Mm. She said, I cannot do anything. I sit in the middle of my living room floor right. and pet my cat. You know, that, that is it. And, you know, it affects the people around us as well. It's not just us, right? So once I was able to accept that Trump was truly president, and no, it doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to sit back and be run over, right, right, Mm -hmm. by the powers that be out there. I was able to come up with a plan that I could use um, on a daily basis as my guide to to navigate the the daily dose of craziness, (laughs) right, and what... I deem, and I still deem, is a national and even an international threat to our world. And I was operating from this place of non-reality. And in our book, we talk a lot about this and how to step into a more powerful emotional mindset that can set people on the path to action, (laughs) which is key. If we are not willing to accept the facts of what is, um, of what are, what is, the facts of what is, (laughs) um, that's a tricky one. Um, It's very hard to decide what steps and actions to take from that point. If you are refusing to accept that Donald Trump is president, how do you mindfully decide what you will do from there? So when we say acceptance of what is, we don't mean accepting, Donna said this, but I think it's worth reiterating. 
Mm. We're not talking about saying, oh, he's president, there's nothing I can do, I'm just going to accept it, and (laughs) we'll see. We're just talking about dealing with reality, and the reality is that he was elected president. So now what? Okay, so I can take all that energy I was using saying, I refuse to accept it, he's not my president, he's, you know, no way, no way, no way. There's a lot of energy that goes into that. Uh. Now if I flip it and I say, he's the president, he won, that's a fact, now what? Now I can take all that energy and I can put it into what I'm going to do. And this, so. the word do keeps coming up, taking action. You know, mm-hmm. I can think of people feeling paralyzed by fear and not knowing what to do and just sitting there uh, letting the paralysis take over uh, isn't going to make it any better. Clearly, taking action. Absolutely. That, that keeps and in the next week or so, we have, we, this is oh, it. This yes. is where the rubber meets the road. So oh, yeah. anybody who's been sitting around and thinking, I should do something yeah. or, you know, just feeling awful, if you can reach out, let, we got to get out there. This next ten, what is it, ten days or so? So like two weeks. This from is now. it. Yeah. This is it. Just make that call to a campaign. And if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. We're talking with the co-authors of a new book called Beyond Resistance: Coping with the Stress of the Trump Era: An Essential Guide. Kathy Hertz and Donna Lippman. And uh, I've, I've been a, a World War One fanatic for quite some time now. And so many things come back to that. Since the introduction of the term shell shock in the First World War, what we now call PTSD, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, it seems to me that if one were to remain calm and collected after the unimaginable horrors of the First World War, and Vietnam for that matter, that would be a sign of a very dangerous mental state. If you're calm and collected after all that horror, that's nuts. It seems to me the only sane reaction is to have shell shock or PTSD. It strikes me that for sane Americans, maybe it's like a mild form of PTSD since the shell shock of November 8, 2016. I wonder how such things PTSD is, is best dealt with. I mean, to, to bury it, to hold like that beach ball down under the water, uh-uh, that doesn't work. Well, mm-hmm. I, I just think, you know, it, 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 we should remember that the fact that we're so upset by it is a sign that we're, we have some degree of good health, good morals, and good values. Your thoughts on that, either? Absolutely. This is Kathy, and we call it PESD, post-election stress disorder. <laughs> <laughs> and you're absolutely right, Bert. I mean, for us to not react um, would be not a good sign, either. Right. But the key here is to use those emotions and those feelings to propel us forward and to, to, to acknowledge them, to process them, but then to allow them to, to let them go. They're great as motivators, but to hang on to them too long and to feel them constantly, they will ultimately inhibit us. So does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Feel it and deal with it and face it. That's right. And there's many different ways to do that, of facing it. It's It's, it's hard to face it. It's I suppose the nat- one natural reaction would be just to, oh, just sweep it under the rug, but that doesn't work. And also, many of us want to make our the way that we feel wrong, like I shouldn't, you know, yeah. like I've got to stop feeling this way. And what that does is it makes it harder for us to stop feeling this way. If we can be a little bit more loving and compassionate with ourselves and say this has been a really 
rough time and I'm having a really difficult time and I'm going to give myself some TLC and, you know, look at my emotions and, and decide what I most need to do to, to help myself. And I'm going to, use, you know, use these feelings to propel me towards, again, action um, and not allow them to just take over and, and stop me and put me into a state of paralysis. Absolutely. Yeah, we and, can't... and I Go would ahead. say that if you are really suffering from PTSD, that there's just so much help out there. You know, um, I think this is where therapy would come in. Yeah. So, you know, as, as life coaches, you know, PTSD, if you're really suffering from that, that, that's not something that we're that well-equipped to, right. to deal with. Right. But, but, you know, we write in our book about a, a friend of mine who said she wakes up in the morning with what she calls morning frights. Right? She's just afraid to look at the news to see what is happening on a daily basis. But her remedy was to just go find other like-minded people in her very mm-hmm. small, oh. mostly red Texas country town. Mm. And that helped ease her anxiety. But if we're talking about something more serious, you know, go address that. Get some help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any kind of clinical diagnosis of depression or anything that that is beyond what you feel is manageable, um, if that makes sense, is is something you should seek attention for. We are talking about tips and tools for people who are, you know, generally... um, uh, well is the word I want to say. And I, I, I mean, that's not the right word, but it, there's no, you know, medical diagnosis behind what they're experiencing. But if you're experiencing um, feelings of self-harm or harming others or PTSD or something like that, absolutely, we are, you know, go, go seek help. Yeah, and I, I also think that, again, this is a, certainly a very mild form, if it is at all a form of PTSD, that you know, recognize that, hey, good for me for feeling upset because that means I care about America, you know, my family's future, the health of the world. Uh, so we could pat ourselves on the back a little bit about that. And yeah. trust, you know, it, it, the, the founders of this country, especially Thomas Jefferson, talked about how important a free press is to keep a check on government. They've been there, you know, I mean, we had Nixon's craziness, which is nothing compared to now. Uh, but we had the press to reassure us that, you know, it's something, there's a check on this madness. And Americans throughout my lifetime have appreciated and taken a free press for granted. There's going to be a check on any kind of madness. They were heroes for many people in the Watergate and Vietnam era, helping us see the truth, that there would be a delivery system for the truth, despite all this lies and stuff. Walter Cronkite, you remember, well, maybe you don't, was called the most trusted man in America. Well, I don't know how old you are. <laughs> the Trump team has been impressively effective in vilifying what we used to trust, undercutting our trust. That trust has been shaken and certainly contributes to our anxiety. Your thoughts about that? Well, this is Donna. I think it contributes a great deal to our anxiety. And if you're, you know, watching the news, if you're keeping up, um, if you're thinking about things, yes, it's it's anxiety producing. And uh, you know, I feel like it, it's this machine that's going to gobble us up pretty soon, and we have no control over it. Um, but I think that those of us who know the truth that this is, you know, one of our only remaining. Um, 
fail-safe aspects um, of our system of checks and balances. Right. You know, we, we have to be very vocal about this and be supportive of the press because that is the that is something that will support us through all of this. And trust, yeah, you, you're talking about trust. We have to trust in, you know, the, the news that's being reported, right. and we have to be discerning. We have to discern where are we getting our news from. And, you know, there, there are lots of uh, conversations about that. And, and, you know, so you have to do your homework. We have to step up to doing a little bit more than perhaps we are used to in terms of understanding. You say, Kathy? Yes, yes. And I would say that, you know, we have unfortunately made it um, – profitable for mm. news stations to become more and more partisan um, because we're all, you know, there's this thing called confirmation bias where you mm. basically have a, a belief and then you look for evidence to support it. Yes. And so we are basically, a lot of us, using the news stations we choose to right. play into this. Reaffirm and they've beliefs. been very happy to accommodate many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very important to make sure, yeah, we love seeing like, oh yeah, I was right. You see, you see, I'm right. I'm right. And it's, it's, it's harder to really try to take a balanced look, see different sides. It takes more work. And so it really is important for us to make sure that we are balancing, um, what we're taking in and, and finding some news sources that, um, are, 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 in the center that aren't so partisan. I mean, that's almost more like it's 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 not helpful for any of us. Yeah, we have to look at. It. I I find I occasionally have to listen to, dare I say, Rush Limbaugh, and you know, just take a look at what the mm-hmm. other side is saying, and and you know, recognize it for what it is. But again, hiding under the covers ain't going to work. Now, one of the uh, demographics that has for a long time experience kind of a unique fear is is women quite frankly you know for decades uh, women have quite logically been afraid to walk down darkened streets alone it's it's frightening out there and to to my knowledge politicians have never been able to address that they haven't even bothered but now you know with uh, uh trump saying what he could about grabbing women's private parts uh somebody recently apparently was arrested and uh, for doing that and, and said, well, the president said it's okay. And, of course, uh, uh, Christine Blasey Ford was not believed, which is amazing to me. Uh, th- I wonder if there's a special fear that, that women, maybe it's gotten worse now. I can imagine that it may have this kind of fear of, you know, just uh, white male domination and, and control and actual uh you know, uh, rape and things like that. I, I just, I wonder how women deal with all this stuff, give, you know, given the change in, in attitude toward this stuff, sort of justifying it. Any thoughts from either one of you women? <laughs> well, I actually, uh, of course, all of these things are, are awful, and I think it's always been there. It's just been a little bit more hidden. And I think that, the, I mean, quite frankly, the gift to what's been going on is that women are standing up. Women are yes. leading our 
political, you know, our, our politics right now. In so many ways, the Me Too movement has gotten so powerful. It's connected women all over the country. And it, it may seem that it's gotten, you know, worse right now, but I believe that it's going to propel us forward in, in ways that we end up somewhere much better. Um, again, not just sitting back and hoping oh. that's going to happen, but continuing to stand up and stand for more accountability and um, demanding more respect and equality. Amen to that. Stimulus and response. Uh, you know, since well before Trump, the powers that be have had great success convincing us we are powerless. They learned from the Vietnam era uh, that you, you you know you can't have people protesting in the streets. You got to convince people that oh it doesn't do anything and that we have no power. A lot of people have bought into that that we have no power. There's nothing we can do. Powerless is a terrible feeling. Uh, but you've talked about various specific things. It's not like I mean since I can't do everything, that doesn't mean I got to do nothing. <laughs> if you could talk to that, please. Yeah, I think. Not only is it an awful feeling, it renders us victims. And wallowing in victimhood is not going to get us where we want to go. And in fact, it actually, you know, again, takes our power away and it keeps us small. And I think that (laughs) the the thing about being a victim is that subconsciously, we kind of like it. Because it means that maybe we don't really have to be responsible for the outcome of our lives or, you know, our political situations. And you can recognize it when you hear something like, I can't help it, or I had no choice, or, you know, you just don't understand. You ruined my life. You made me do it. You know, while the words convey powerlessness, they actually are quite powerful. And why is that? Because those words are believed by the other people, you know, and ultimately it's it's kind of a twisted thing, but stay with me here for a second. You're making other people responsible for your life. You know, it's kind of a durable will. Eventually, you know, you, you give away your power by saying it wasn't my fault or I, you know, I didn't have my, I didn't have a choice. And you, you give away your power and eventually you begin to feel taken advantage of or you don't like the outcome, like we don't like the outcome right now of the 2016 vote. And your ability to make choices and create intentions um, and your ability to get back up after being knocked down, um, you know, that, that all goes away. And that all belongs to someone else. So in order to take back your power, you have to surround yourself with people who will not be manipulated into into your, you know, victim powerlessness. So it means a whole bunch of us are going to have to be truth-tellers in our lives. You know, we have to start noticing, what are we doing, you know, and start making different choices and then taking action. I keep going back to that. Yes, it's funny how that happens. But we have to notice, we have to be, we have to make choices, and then we have to take action. And I, if I if I may just add, I, as you're talking, Donna, I can't help but think how so many of us gave our power away by not being engaged in the political process before oh, the election. True. 
we thought it didn't matter, nothing, you know, or whatever excuses or reasons we gave for sitting it out, we became victims. And look what happened. That's true. And, so and do more. And, do more. We have to do more, right? And making, you know, some, not very many, I don't think, but I mean, I was a Bernie person, but I supported Hillary, you know, in the general election because, you know, okay, was she as good as Bernie? Heck no, not even close. But, you know, the idea of sitting it out and not doing anything because she wasn't perfect ooh, <laughs> frustrates the heck out of me. You know, we, 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 we have to, you know, not make the good the enemy of the perfect and disengage. That keeps us powerless as well. That's a little difficult, I suppose. But, uh, uh, you know, we just have to, uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys have any comments on that. How can, you know, you motivate people if it's not the perfect answer, if it's not the solution to all our problems? we got to stop the bad stuff. <laughs> well, well, I, I was going to ask you a question. <laughs> not to okay, put you sure. on the spot, but because you so perfectly said it. I was at, going to ask you, what do you think the psychology of that was, that choice to support no one? Um, rather than to support Clinton. What what justified that in, in people's minds, in your opinion? Well, that's a good question. My, my sense is that the people, the younger people, hadn't been involved in politics for a long time, uh, just very recently, and, and Bernie may have sparked him into it for the first participation, and that, you know, it does take time, people. You know, as you say, taking action, you're not going to achieve your biggest goals right away patience i don't know it's a very good question and look what they got and they felt like oh she's just as bad as the other guys and that's a bunch of bull she was not just as bad as trump not by a long shot but so it's kind of like they took their toys and went home because they didn't get their way kind of thing yes exactly Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. i find that terribly frustrating you know you have to participate in this you're not going to get Again, don't make the good the enemy of the perfect. And we have an election coming up real soon. And, and you know, I, there are some candidates, do I wish they were better? Yeah. They're not perfect on the choice issue. They're not perfect on this or that or foreign policy. But you know what? I don't want these far right wing authoritarians in there. So I, I don't know. I, I wish we could uh, reach those people. If somebody uh, has some good solutions, I'd love to hear them. Uh, I hate to ask this question, but I will. <laughs> what if we lose the midterms? How can we then have hope? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I think what yeah. comes to mind for me first is you always have to have hope. This time in history is a blip on the screen. Yes. You know, we've gone through terrible things in the world, and we come out of them. And I truly have faith that um, we are heading down a dark road with this man. Mm-hmm. And I have days where I'm just shell-shocked, yeah. honestly, like you said before. Yeah. But I, I, and I know it's easy to say to someone, you know, don't give up hope. I, uh, and it's easier to say it than to sometimes find the hope. But if we can take a larger view... Um, I think people will be hurt in this time. Unfortunately, I think, you know, our environment, what is there to even say? Um, but I think in the long view, we will be okay. We are, 
we are if we are being the 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 vision that we want to see in the world each of us individually and collectively we're powerful and i i just can't help but always have that hope and um if we don't win think- we'll we'll have to evaluate and lick our wounds and stand up the next day and know that in two more years we have another go at it yeah true yeah we will your partner was about to say something and, and- Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's your turn. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it, it's it's hard to be the cheerleader all the time. And, of course, sometimes we feel down, too. And, yeah. you know, we feel like we've lost control. And But, you know, again, we have to take responsibility and, and do yeah. what we can. And I believe it's like, uh, Kathy, you said something about it earlier. We don't know. We don't know what the purpose of all this is. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. And, you know, it's always a new day. It's always a new game. And we have to constantly find our new game. That, that's, that's the game of life. Yeah. And we cannot give up. We cannot give up. It's far too important. The book is called Beyond Resistance, Coping with the Stress of the Trump Era, An Essential Guide. Who's the publisher so people might want to ask for it? Bliss Publishers. Bliss. Okay. Bliss Publishers. Beyond Resistance, Coping with the Stress of the Trump Era, an Essential Guide. Thank you. This has been helpful to me personally and hopefully uh, other people as well. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having us. It's been fun. I'm having a panic attack to duck the cover Cause I can feel it coming It's a high